Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley, and we are at 127-2021. We're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for choosing us from eternity past, and this is the reason why we are here today. We thank you for your sovereign choice, your grace that brought us together. We pray, Father, as we begin our worship service that you will give us wisdom so that the scriptures that are raised, you will allow your spirit of truth to lead and guide us in this area so that we can come to the knowledge of the truth. Father, we pray for condolences to the Sneed family and uh, knowing that there have been much loss in his family recently. So, Father, we're praying for Dave and for all of those who are still grieving. We're praying for Mike and his family as well. They are still mourning the loss of their son. So, Father, we ask for comfort for those families and wisdom as we uh, are in this world, especially this dangerous world. All around us, there is danger. So we pray for safety and that you will keep us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. We are studying in the book of Romans, and we're at verse 35 tonight, which says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger of sword. We'll talk about that. Uh, you also have notes. Hopefully, if you check your email, you should have those notes. And we will get to that. Uh, we will pause to see if there are questions that we can answer uh, before we get started. So the floor is now open. Uh, Dave, I believe you have something, right? Yeah, I was first. You know, I'm looking at that verse he had last week, and uh, about who who can condemn. Um, and it referred to. I look at the note that says no one, but the Christ Jesus who died more than that was raised to life, and that's the right hand of God. Don't look at the seed of it. But it was also referring to Israel, like the Jews. So my question was prior to this. If a believer that's living in carnality, can he can he can he be the one that can't condemn himself because he's not living the right spiritual life? Hmm. Well, yes, yes. The person who is not living the spiritual life or being led by the Spirit of Truth, he could condemn us, right? Uh, I think when we talked about this earlier, we started in Romans uh, 8.31, I believe, if, if God is for us, <clears throat> who can be against us? Who could possibly be against us? And I addressed this in four ways. I said, well, the world, the flesh and the devil, that's certainly our enemy, right? The world will hate us. Then two, <clears throat> really, this is really mainly the Jews or Israel. 
as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sakes. That's Romans eleven twenty eight. So literally, the Jews can be against us, and they, well, they persecuted the early church vigorously. And then three, not only so, but but those same words can be used uh, of Israel, but for for a different purpose, right? Uh, so they could object. Israel, there's another reason why they could object. It's because those same words, that elect, chosen, justified, foreknown, predestined, all those words are used also for Israel, for God calling a nation. So Israel could object to that. Um, and then you, you could object. Now, when I say you, I mean the believer can be against us. How? He could be childish. Or, you know, just like you were just saying, a person who is in carnality or someone who is living by the flesh. He doesn't allow the spirit of truth to lead and guide him. So he could, uh, he could condemn us. But really, when we get down to where it says, who is he that condemns? And then the answer is no one. <clears throat> what we are to understand from that is no one really has the right to condemn. So even if Satan condemns us, the, who is the ruler of this world? Even if uh, the Jews don't like what God has done, even if a believer is in carnality, you know what? It doesn't matter. You know why? Because God is the only one that matters in this case. He's the one who chose us. He's the one who foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. He's the one who did all that. So... Who is did God the Father? Could would He change His mind? Would He come up with a different plan now? Absolutely not. Would it be Christ? He's you know. It, it, is it possible that He would change His mind? No. He's also at the right hand interceding for us. So even if all of those people are against us or those institutions, the world doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter at all because. Uh, God is for us, and this is God's plan. So we're going to talk more about that in our uh, notes today. In our notes today, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So we go over some of that thought, and we'll cover that in, the, in a bit. So hopefully uh, that's where we did a answer earlier. But really, we boiled it down as we talked last week to the Jews. It's the Jews. And we're going to bring the evidence that point to that's who Paul had in mind when he raised these questions. He, he wants to hash out their thinking. And he's, this is exactly what is on the Jews' mind. Especially the ones who, yeah, they believe in Christ. Okay, that's fine. However, this church thing you keep talking about, this thing where we got to be in the same body with Gentiles. Well, that, something, something's wrong with that. I mean, that's not something that we can stomach. Uh, you know, this whole thing about Christ being the Messiah, great. We, we're on board with that. But this whole thing about us being in the same body and uh, we don't have to obey the Mosaic law and on and on. No way. We're not going for that. Doesn't make sense. So, I think that's really the point of all of those questions. I don't think the point is necessarily to, to speak of the devil, even though 
he's the one who would be the uh, the source of all of these things. But on the ground is it's the Jews who would object to this thought more so. I'll pause, Dave, to see if you have a follow up. No, I'm good. Oh, thanks for the question. That that's we're going to also be talking about that a little later. So went under the the, the title, uh, who sh- who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who who should who could do that? And we're going to talk about that. Oh, does? Yes. Yeah. Would it would it be fair to say that there really isn't there is really only one true condemnation, and that was when God condemned um, the entire human race based on what Adam did. Other than that, you're either, you either remain condemned because you were condemned when you were born, um, or once you're saved, you can never be condemned after that. And all these other accusations and you know the people against us, against the church and everything, well, they might claim to be able to make condemnations and accusations, but they really don't hold water. That's right. Yeah, that's right. They don't hold water. Uh, the fact that it is God who is the one who chose us and justifies and glorifies, well, he's certainly not going to condemn us. And he's the only one that has the power to change his mind and condemn us. And he, would he do it? Absolutely not. He's for us. Yeah, so in the context, all of this is laid out for us in answer to those questions. Yeah. You know, so as we have the answer to those questions, we can think about what God's thinking is. Well, it's God who justifies. It's Christ. Christ died. He sent not only that, but He sent His Son. He sacrificed His only Son. You know, so we we have testimony, especially for those He foreknew. He also. Uh, call those he called, he also justified. Then he says, what should we say in response to this? In other words, that could be a question. But really, he's saying it's a rhetorical question. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? That's By saying all of that, what he just said about you know, foreknowledge to glorify, if God's doing all that for us, he's certainly not. And then even if you go back, he said the Holy Spirit is there. Even when we're weak and we don't know what to pray for as we ought, the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us. You know, so this is going on behind the scenes when we don't even know it. <laughs> we don't even don't realize this. But this tells you that God is for you. And now you know he's for you. Who possibly could be against you? In other words, nobody. That's rhetorical. Uh, and then he goes in, mm-hmm. into other thoughts. Yeah, so absolutely that is the case. So, so part of what I was saying, my, my main point, was that really in the entire um, human history, there is really only one condemnation. There's, there's, and that was the condemnation of the human race um, after the fall of Adam. That's right. And, and will, will there, you know, there never was any other condemnation that was real, since God is the only one that can condemn. And in the future, um, I understand it's pretty much the same thing. It's, it's like people can remain condemned, but nobody becomes condemned. Well, 
as you pointed out, uh, we are we are condemned as part of uh, the bad news. We're condemned in Adam, but God is counted us all over to disobedience so that he might have mercy on all, says Romans 11. So it was God who condemned us. It is from the justice of God, he condemned Adam and every person that would be born in Adam. Absolutely, you're right about that. And so as far as condemnation is concerned, everybody starts out condemned under the wrath of God with a sin nature and spiritually dead with resulting physical death everybody and the fact that god is the one who can reverse that he's the fact in fact he's the only one who can reverse that condemnation we can't do it by our works by our behavior by keeping the law any of that none of that can reverse condemnation therefore by the works of the law no flesh will be justified by any sight so the only person who can reverse that verdict is God himself. And he does. When, upon our believing in Jesus Christ. And when we believe in Christ, we are justified. That is a reversal of his judgment of condemnation for us. Not for the whole human race, but for those who believe. It is by grace. So, so, yes, absolutely, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely none. Nobody can condemn, nobody can reverse God's uh, verdict of justified forever. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that condemnation was a one-time thing. So but, those who become justified in Christ cannot be condemned again. But even those who were born condemned, well, you can't condemn them more. They are already condemned. Yeah, just like Rome, uh, John 3.36 says, and the wrath of God, if they refuse, the wrath of God remains on them. Or he that does, does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's John 3.18. So there yeah. it is. I, see, I, I think that's why... I think that's why in, in um, Romans 8.34 that we covered last week, I think that why that answer can be an exclamation. No one. No one. You know, who's condemned? No one. Yeah. No one has the right. No one. And God wouldn't. So who, who could do it then? Nobody. Nobody. And by the way, what this should say is to us, we have tremendous assurance. That's what it should say. We have assurance before God that what what this thing that we are talking about, this whole thing about the church, the mystery, all of that, is absolutely, undeniably certain for us. This is our destiny. There is absolutely nothing that can come between us and our destiny. Right now, even if you don't believe it, it is still your destiny. That is who you are in Christ. So, and you know, you, you, well, we'll get into this later as we talk about it, but, uh, so I'll pause. Other thoughts out there? Well, hold on. Um, oh, sorry, but yeah, all right. So Fred, why don't you go first and then we'll, we'll swing back to you, Dave. Well, I just wanted to say that the answer uh, 
to Dave's question emphatically is found in Romans 8.1. Yes. And uh, it says, therefore, there is no condemnation right in the beginning of the, uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes. And so that carnal believer that Dave refers to, who can condemn him? No one. Yeah. That's the short answer. And and how do we how do we take if some if somebody does condemn you how do you how do you take that how do you what do you, what if a, a person who comes up and says you you don't you're not saved you don't have a right to this church that you're talking about you you're not uh, in Christ and all that you're you're in Adam you're condemned what if somebody says that to you. Well, Doug, I, you know, I, I, I find that question kind of hypothetical. I don't even know that most people would start it off the argument <laughs> with, you're still an Adam. Most people don't know the bad news. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but I guess my point that I'm making is it is of little value that someone would make a comment like that when they have no knowledge of what God has done and what his eternal purpose is, or any of that. So it is of little value. And yeah, people, and just think, people will will come to you and say you're lost. They say, that person's not saved. They could judge that. You're not in the plan of God. You're not, they could make those comments. They could condemn you, but it will not affect anything. It is, of, like I said, it's of little value. Maybe it'll hurt your feelings, <laughs> but and I doubt if it will even do that. But that's about it. Because God is not moved by somebody's condemnation of you. They don't even have a right to condemn you. They're not even in a position to condemn you. So only God can do that. And as we already uh, spoke about, God is not going to do such things. He's for us, those of us who are in Christ. So, All right, so we'll, we'll swing to Dave. Dave, you, you were going to say... Yeah, I was looking at that. I was thinking about that verse where it says that because of the church, the Jews have animosity towards us because of their hatred towards the church. Because as we know in the scriptures, they were the, they were supposed to be the chosen ones, but because of the church, we are enemies for for because of 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 the way it is. Yeah. Absolutely. That's all in Romans 11. Those, those re, that, re, that reasoning. You could read all that. But I'll just read a couple verses for you. This is Romans 11, okay. 30 and 31, where it says, Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God, you Gentiles, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they, too, have now become disobedient in order that they, too, may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. Then, so, so God sort of sums up what you just said, how uh, God, on the one hand, did have the Jews as his chosen people. But now, when he made a change... Uh, the Jews are disobedient to God's plan. But prior to that, the Jews received the law, they received the covenants, the promise, all that. And they, they were God's chosen people. But after that, once the church age came on board, a lot of the Jews said, no, 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 this is not right. You can't just stop 
and you know your your plan and say that the church is now chosen the church is now foreknown all that so paul is summing that up he says earlier he says as far as the gospel is concerned they the jews are are enemies for your sake but as far as election is concerned oh i have a question though where, where did the verse come from after that let me finish uh this is all in Romans eleven twenty eight through 31. He said, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on the account right. of the patriarchs. That's eleven twenty eight. But I just read to you 30 and 31. So in Romans 11. But there's other scriptures there in Romans 11 too, uh, earlier, that talks mm -hmm. about the same thing. So when you get a chance, just read the whole chapter. All right, we're going to continue. All right, we're gonna we're gonna move into our our study, I guess. Romans eight thirty five. We're almost done. We only got uh, four verses left, and those verses are pretty much connected to the same thought. So, just to make it clear, we may cover more than one verse as we know what the what the uh, the circumstance is. So let's look at Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? So this, <coughs> this is not to be separated from what we already covered previously. Remember, it's context that is most important. So that's what we're going to do and look at this in light of what we already covered. So this is, uh, this is the first point. There, this is another in the series of questions and answers, right? Who shall separate us? Just like we saw in these verses, these one, two, three, four, five verses that had questions in them. Uh, what shall we say in response to these things? Who is he that condemns? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Right? This is the verse we're in. Right? But those questions are all, uh, in a sense, rhetorical. They are questions that are in the mind of the Jew, but are clearly uh, not valid as arguments to condemn us, to separate us, to make a charge against us, right? To, none of those things could happen. It's not possible because Paul brings out the point that it is God is the one who chose us and did all these things. So I could see if we're just saying this, right? It'd be one thing if we're just saying these things. Well, well I'm chosen. You know, sort of like people use chosen today. A lot of, and, and we used to talk about this when we were teaching Ephesians, I remember. And we used to say, you know, people are quick to say how chosen they are, how called they are. So what we often ask them is, what are you chosen for? What are you called to? And just hear the varied responses. This is dealing with God's eternal purpose. 
it is clear what we are and who we are and what our purpose is and what God has called us to and all of that. But people use that flippantly today. I'm, I'm called, I'm chosen. Right? And, and what does it mean? Well, if you don't know what it means, it has little value. It doesn't mean you're not chosen. If you're saved, yeah, you are. But if, unless you can articulate what that means, it really doesn't have value. If you don't even know what it means yourself, never mind whether you can articulate it or not. doesn't matter. You're going to live like uh, you're, you're going to fulfill your own purpose, not God's. Next point. If we didn't have confidence or feel be we belong to God's, God should be God's eternal purpose, we have the clear testimony. This should give us confidence. There's nobody who can bring a charge against you. There's nobody who can condemn us. There's nobody who can separate us from the love of Christ. Nobody. No one. Only person who has the right to do such things is God himself. So we don't have to worry about what the Jews may say. And this is, think about what Gentile confidence was in the first century. I mean, you had, the church was primarily Jewish. Now, I don't say it was Jewish because uh, it was Jewish in ways. In other words, according to the Mosaic Law or something like that. It was Jewish because there were a lot of Jews in it. And those Jews had uh, the mind of their culture in view. This is what was important to the Jews is upholding, maintaining their culture, which was infused by God. But God made a change. In Christ, there is no Jew. There is no Jew. There is no Jew. I have to emphasize that three times to make sure that you understand that the church is not Jewish. It is not Jewish. So when we think about how did the Gentile feel in the church? Well, the Gentile, Gentile felt like a second-class citizen. You think if somebody had to stand up and read the scripture, it would go to a Gentile to do that? No. You're lucky that the Jews let you in the church, and then you probably had to stand in the back because you just were not worthy to... You were a Gentile, after all. They were Jews. They had heritage. Not so. Not so with the church. God truly made a change. We are not under the Mosaic Law. All those traditions and uh, ways that they, I mean, they, all of their holidays. Like we have Fourth of July, Thanksgiving, we got Labor Day, we got all these holidays were in America, United States. Jews had Feast of Tabernacles, uh, Passover. Uh, trumpets, you know, all these different feast days that the Jews had were all from the word of God. They felt superior, for sure. There's no that. The Jews felt superior, and the church, it, all of that had to go. And just like when we read in Romans 14, one man considers that the, you know, he can't eat everything. He can only eat vegetables. Another man figures that he can eat everything. The one who is weak in faith only eats vegetables. Who's that? He's the Jew. He's the one who won't be defiled by eating meat in the shambles or the marketplace where uh, those, that meat might have been offered to idols. 
The Jew recoiled and said, no, absolutely not. I won't eat meat like that. I won't. I will eat only vegetables. And so is that right or wrong? It's weak. That person's weak in faith. We're not to reject him because he's weak in faith. But who's the one that's weak in faith? He still thinks that he has dietary restrictions. And nothing should be refused. Nothing. Everything can be received with thanksgiving. This is the church we're talking about. We're not talking about Israel, but the church. And we're not under the Mosaic law. But the Jews, and even if we look at the Galatians chapter 2 passage where Peter caved into fear because of the Jews. And he was a Jew. He knew he was, that that was his, his upbringing and his culture. And he, he caved into fear when those Judaizers came. And he was sitting with those Gentiles. He backed up, moved away from that table, and got over and sat over. And why should there have been a table with the Jews and a table with the Gentiles anyway? There shouldn't have been. But yet, Paul saw that, and he corrected it right on the spot. So these things should help you understand who you are in Christ. This is not just about the Jewish mentality. I want to make sure we understand that this is also to bolster confidence for Gentiles, for those who don't have a history with God, who don't have the covenants and the promise and the law and all of that. We are just as justified as any person who is a Jew the moment we believe in Christ. Just as justified. And there is no just as justified. Either you are justified or you're not. That's the bottom line. Let's keep going in our notes. Point C, the church is, is new on the stage, as we said earlier. And Paul is addressing the concern and objection of the Jew. So how do we know that? How do we know that that's the case? Am I just surmising this? No. He's been doing it the whole chapter. He's been doing it uh, all the chapters, almost, from the beginning. So when we see... Romans 3, what are we to say then? Are we any better? We Jews. No, uh, Jew and Gentile alike are all under sin. There's none righteous. Not, and he goes, all of that is to deal with the Jew. Therefore, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. The works of the law, well, that's the Jewish person who thinks that the Mosaic law has some bearing upon justification. And it absolutely does not. So Paul has to say, <laughs> he has to say there is no difference all are justified freely by faith in Christ. No difference between Jew or Gentile. <clears throat> so once we see that, what we are to know is that the church is on a different footing altogether. It's like Ephesians 2 said. He took from the two and he made one new man out of those two, Jew and Gentile. <clears throat> this is why we don't understand it, but that confidence... And the Jew just would not understand it. If you go to Romans 9, 1 through 5, right after this, which is where we're going to get to, he deals with the Jew. He continues, I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself could be cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. He's clear about what his burden is here. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory. 
the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. <laughs> is he, who is he talking about? He's talking about the Jews, for sure. If we, even if we get to 10, what do we get in Romans 10? He says, uh, brothers, and, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them, they are zealous for, uh, for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. And it goes on. But even there, he deals with Israel. It's, this is what is the burden. And I used to say it when we were in Romans 3 and 4 and 5. And I said, if we can understand salvation and the foundation that Paul is teaching there from the, the, the presentation from the Jewish perspective, then we got it as a Gentile. Some of the arguments we would have never considered. But the fact that we got Jews here who have kept the law and thought that keeping the law somehow brings uh, righteousness or justification or favor or exception before God, then uh, we would have never had gone down that road. But the fact that we now can see all of this from the ground up uh, gives us a much richer understanding of these things. So uh, we're on a new footing. and uh, But Paul, he, he is dealing with the mind of the Jew. And what objections they may bring. Point D. We are one with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. Now we know this. We have studied it. Um, <clears throat> but what could separate us? Who could separate us from the love of Christ? Well, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says that we are joined to Christ. I'll read it. Let's look at a couple of these scriptures as we do. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. <clears throat> It says, and God placed all things under his feet, talking about Christ, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And here it is, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So remember, we talked about this word fullness, pleroma, and it's, we literally complete Christ. And why do we say that? Because Christ can stand alone. He's the word. He's the God Man, right? He's the Word. From uh, all things were made by Him. Without Him was not one thing made. He was with God in the beginning, right? In the beginning, the Word was. So Christ, you could say a lot of people say He doesn't need us. Well, this is the Father's plan from eternity past, before creation, that we right, are the fullness of Him and fill Him everything in every way. So this is the plan of the Father. So until this is complete, then Christ is, who, whoever his idea of Christ is, is not complete. We are what complete completes Christ. That's what we should know from that passage. And then there's Ephesians 5. Uh, we're talking about could this be undone or separated? Absolutely not. Not when we're one like this. That's what the baptism of the Spirit has done for us. It's made us one. It's united us. And listen to the analogy 
presented in 28 through 32. 5, 28 through 32. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. So notice, the body, the analogy is the husband ought, right? The husbands ought to love their wives as their own, but not necessarily. But he's saying this is just like Christ in the church, really. And if, if the husband, he could certainly not look at his wife and, who is his own body, and hate her, he would be hating himself. There's absolutely no way that Christ would ever hate the church. He would never hate. The, this analogy is literally saying no one ever hated her own body, and, and he's really talking about Christ and the church. But they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. That's literally uh, what, what he means by using that analogy. Verse 30, for we are members of his body. Literally, he says that. We are members of his body. Literally, we are joined to him. Just like it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united or joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Literally, that's what, that's an analogy to speak that speaks to our oneness with the person of Christ. That's what the baptism of the Spirit has done for us. This, verse 32, is a profound mystery. In other words, it has been hidden. No one saw it, especially the Jews or anybody. But I am talking about Christ and the church. This literally is what he is trying to show. Why is he giving you these analogies with husbands and wives? It's because he's trying to relate aspects of the relationship that we have with Christ. It cannot be broken. It, we are one with him. We are a member. We are a part of who he is. So that's that's why it can't be broken. Uh, so, and then, um, what else we have? Oh, that's, and then the Romans 6.3 passage, which talks about, don't you know you've been baptized, right? And then I'm going to, let you read some of these verses yourself. And then Romans 7, 1 through 4, which talks about those who know the law, know that a man is married to a woman as long as he lives. And so, and it talks about us, how we're joined to Christ and and so forth. And so it uses another. These are different ways to speak about the same thing, the baptism of the Spirit and the results of it and how we are joined to Christ and what it means and how it's permanent and and nothing and what is true of him is true of us. No man ever hated his own body. He loves it. He cares it. He feeds it. He does, you know, this is he cares for his body. That Christ can never separate. He would never separate himself from us. And nobody could separate uh, from Christ. We couldn't separate from him if we tried. He couldn't do it from us even if he tried. It would not be possible. So we're talking about things that are not really possible at all. Then, point E, this is important for us to understand. Love of Christ. So, first of all, some of the commentaries may lead you to think that it's talking about 
the love that Christ has for us. But that's not what is uh, referenced. And I remember going through Ephesians and other passages, uh, and w what it does is talking about the Father's plan here. And it, it is not Christ's love for us. It is Christ's, it's the Father's love of Christ that is in view here. So this is an important distinction. It's not to say Christ doesn't love us. I am not saying that at all. Christ does love us. Absolutely. And we, we saw that in the Ephesians passage by way of how the husband ought to love their wives. Well, Christ loves the church. There's no doubt about it. But that's not what's in view here. It's the Father's plan. And if you go back and look at the previous context, that's what you find. It's not just about Christ. It's about the Father. right? He's the one who chose us, foreknew us. He's the, the Father foreknew us. The Father uh, predestined us. The Father called us. The Father justified us. And it is the Father who will glorify us. It is not uh, the person of Christ. He is the object of the Father's plan because all of these things would happen in Christ. But let's look at some of this. That's why I want to emphasize this point because it is important that you walk away with this. So in Ephesians 3.10, let's look at that, and 11. So 3.10 and 11, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Notice it's through the church. Right? And how does this work? It's the Father's plan, right? And here it is, according to his, verse 11, to his eternal purpose, that he... The Father accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is his eternal, this is his plan that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, that, and we also have uh, verses 16 through 19 of the same chapter, where he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and in your inner being. Who's he? The Father. Right? Verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the father right and then so so verse 17 so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and i pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with the, all the lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of christ now here's that same term love of christ as it means does it mean christ's love for you or does it mean the Father's love for his plan, which is accomplished in Christ Jesus? It's, it's the latter. It's talking about the Father's love. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So the understanding of what the Father did in Christ, the knowledge of his eternal purpose. When you come to the knowledge of that truth, literally, you understand the height, the depth, the width, the length of it all. You are seeing eye to eye with the Father according to his eternal purpose. So it is his love of Christ. And what motivates the Father? His love for Christ to complete what he uh, created all things for in the first place. So the Father's love for Christ, Christ. Now, when we say the Father's love for Christ, literally, he didn't say the Father's love for you. 
It's the Father's love for Christ. But when he says Christ, this is point F, he means Christ and the church together. That's one. In God's mind, that is the plan. Remember, we complete him. We are members of his body. How do we get there? Well, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And on and on. We talked about it. He foreknew us, he predestined us, he conformed us to the image of his son, he called us, he justified us, and he will glorify us. All of that is by means of the Father. Does he love his plan? Absolutely. Father loves his own plan. He loves the son who all of these things are accomplished on the back of the son. That's Ephesians 3, 11. Because of the work of Christ and what he did, all of the Father's plan can be complete. If Christ failed at his plan, uh, his part of the plan, the whole plan would have failed. Well, there's a lot of reasons why it would have failed. <laughs> but, of course, none of that is possible because Christ completed the work. He says, I love the Father and I do exactly as the Father has commanded so that's an important point as we go through these verses. All right, so let's continue. Uh, shall, uh, okay, so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? Right, that's the question. Well, we already know uh, nothing, and this is the first point, nothing that can happen in terms of persecution can separate us no matter what happens in this world. The reality of our destiny in Christ is sure. We're going to get all the way to the last stage glorified. There's nothing that can disrupt that, interrupt that, separate us from the love of Christ, or do anything in terms of uh, this world, can th whatever this world can throw at us, whether by way of persecution Famine, that means you don't have any food whatsoever. You, you are starving. Nakedness, meaning you don't have any clothes. Danger of sword. All of these verses remind me of what Paul actually went through. If we go to 2 Corinthians, we'll read some of it. Chapter 11, by way of all of the things that could possibly happen. Yeah. These, these are 2 Corinthians 11, says here, I'm reading verse 23 and following. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews, notice, from the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. Oh, that's mercy. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, bandits, in danger from my, from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. And in danger from false believers, to Dave's point. Right? They, they could condemn us and they could try to hurt us. 
I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and I and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Same thing we've been seeing. All of those things that are mentioned, Paul had to deal with. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword. He says, I have, to back to 2 Corinthians 11, I have to to labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger, thirst, gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of, of my concern for all the churches. So did Paul go through a lot of persecution? Yes, yes, but none of that can separate them from the love. That's the, none of it. And God told Paul when he called him, he says, Paul, I'm going to show you the things that you must suffer for my name. Point B, we may go through these things. It is possible, but nothing will reverse God's opinion of us, no matter what comes, come what may, no matter what it is. God will never change his mind. He will never reverse his Why? Because we already said God is for us. We showed, he demonstrated that God is for us, no matter what. Right? He's the one who justified us. He's the one who called us. He foreknew us. And it, who is it, who can condemn us? No one but God. But, but what we've learned is that God is for us. Christ is interceding for us. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us. God the Father is the one who justified us. He's the one who sent his Son Right, and judged him on, you know, on our behalf. And how shall he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Certainly God will never condemn us. So it is possible we could go through. But God's opinion of us stands firm. Point C, the questions above speak of what uh, or, or who has the right to charge, condemn, separate. Uh, no one but God can do that. And God, as we have seen, is for us. That's, that is the testimony that we have read in the Word. So, listen, we may have to go to our death for the sake of Christ. This is the case in this world. We're on a battlefield. We may end up going that way. But we should know this. That nothing in this life, no, doesn't matter what kind of persecution they put you under. It doesn't matter. This is God's plan for sure. So point D, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm skipping ahead to verse 37 to answer this question for us today. I don't want us thinking that persecution should somehow cause us some angst, some anxiety. It should not. No, he says, in all these things, we are not just meeting the challenge. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And who's, who's him who loved us? I just wonder. Who is it? He's talking about God the Father. He will never reverse his plan. He will never change his mind about what he has chosen. And then point E, and we're closing. If God created all things for this purpose, and this, this is what God's the eternal purpose was. And this is why all things were created, so that he could bring many sons into glory. It wasn't so that he would be, you know, we would be comfortable and that it wouldn't have, there wouldn't be any cost to the plan. There is cost. There is suffering in this world. In this world, you will have 
He tells us that up front. But if he created all things for this purpose, is there any greater power that can stop his eternal purpose? Uh, so I am skipping ahead again to verse 39 to answer. Nor anything else in all creation. Nothing. As, as, but by the time we get finished with all of the things that he says, nothing can stop. Nothing present, nothing future, nothing, nor anything else in all creation will be able. Right? So we, we'll get to that. But just know that if God's eternal purpose was, was this, certainly he's not going to reverse course and now change his mind about what his eternal purpose is and separate us. doesn't matter what people say. doesn't matter what the accusations may be. This is God's will right here. This is, and this is the mystery which he hid within himself, and now he's revealing, and now he's telling people, the people just don't want to listen to what God's eternal purpose is. Why should they listen? Because God testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles demonstrated by the Holy Spirit. God showed up. He demonstrated that this is the way. Walk in it. He showed people that by signs and wonders that they could not deny that the church is God's plan. So you have a choice to have confidence in the things that the word of God, the spirit of truth has taught us or to have fear and anxiety in this world and walk with uh, doubting about what God has done. The word is true. Thy word is truth. So this is what we stand on. Okay, we're going to have to stop this today because of time, but we will continue this thought next week. So stay tuned and we'll talk more about what God the Father has shown us in his word. Uh, we, we got a lot of... Uh, uh, definitely a lot of text before us as we go the rest of uh, Romans 8 and into Romans 9. So stay tuned. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. We're glad to be here. We, I must say we are glad that we can come as a church to reason together when it comes to your word. We, we're thankful that we are able to see what your plan is and to comprehend uh, how uh, you have crafted and organized uh, your plan. Thank you for the spirit of truth that without spirit we would not be able to understand. But we, through that means, now know things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. But this is what we speak. And we pray that others may come to know the not, this knowledge, this information. And it is our purpose to preach the gospel and allow people the opportunity to be a part of this glorious calling that is in Christ. All this we ask in his name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.